Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll and on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Brian Courtney with Short Bus Debate Club. Today we are talking about dead musicians. Um, and I guess you know what they meant to us when they were alive and whether or not their death had a huge impact on our lives. Um, the first musician I ever remember dying was Elvis Presley. And I don't know shit about his music. I think his movies fucking suck. Um, but I remember my babysitter crying and fucking wailing and running around the house. And she was just so distraught about it. And you would have been too. I mean, you, you, were, you actually remember that? Yeah. I mean, you would have been just a teeny little fucking thing. No, I was four. I was 75. No, he died in 77. Did he die in 77? Yeah. Uh, you're probably right. I could be wrong. Okay. Sorry. I, no, I mean, that's fine. I was little, uh-huh. but that's why I was confused. I didn't understand what the fuck was going on. Um, and then I remember similar things happening when, you know, Lennon got shot in 80. Um but I never could understand a lot of the things that happened with music, like watching, you know, these old videos when the Beatles showed up in the United States and all of the girls fucking screaming and crying and fainting and shit. Um, I don't know. That just seemed like it was was overkill. Um, and I I was sad when a lot of musicians died. I mean, just recently... Bowie died. That was a fucking shame. Prince died. That was a shame. Chris Cornell. I mean, and those are just the recent ones. Tom Petty. Um, and those were all really good musicians. And I have catalogs of their shit. Um, but I didn't cry for any amount of time over any of it. But music is... It's one of those sort of like oddly magical things, you know, like you can't get people to come together and agree over jack shit about anything, you know, but for some reason you take a band and you make it available for people to spend X amount of dollars to go to this location. And the way that these people vibrate literally makes the people in the audience vibrate a certain way and there's this sort of like social resonation I mean, it's like a fucking magic trick but it's not it's just a part of our psyche that on some level we probably don't really understand very well but you know like you think about like what was going on when the beatles you when their music first came out you know just like chuck berry like chuck berry comes out and he you know he you know this very fucking weird thing on the guitar and everybody's like you know and it just startles people to the point where, I mean, like you said, for the Beatles, I mean, screeching, you know, just like, and they're not listening to it, but there's something about that resonation that it just, it, it creates a possibility in like our collective space that we we never had prior to the, the, the phenomenon of popular music and concerts and shit like that. So... And I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I mean, originally, if we're, you know, more 
tribal and we're not living as we are now. Music was a way for everybody to get together and communicate. Are we still doing that on just a larger level? Well, I mean, obviously, the ritual, I think, you, you could argue that the, 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 the semblance of the ritual is sim- very similar, you know, but obviously we're not, you know, going out and banging on drums, dancing around, praying for rain and shit like that, you know. We're not, you know, pray, doing a dance to have a good harvest, you know, I, I, on some level. But at the same time, um, that social environment and the catharsis. Like, I remember going to see Fugazi when I was, like, 13, and uh, that was the first time I ever went into a show where there was a mosh pit, right? And uh, I had a lot of angst as a 13-year-old. And, uh, like, I there was these, these skinheads that were there, and Ian McKay fucking stops the show and tells him to get the fuck out of here, and everybody starts fucking, like, pounding on him, and they kick him the fuck out. But... And in that moment, I realized that this was a place where we all had kind of an agreement, you know, where we are really angry with the society we're involved in. We don't really know what to do about it. So we just jam out to this music and get in a fucking mosh pit and just explode. I mean, that's not about death, but I mean, the certain concept of the ritual, you know, and the way that. The first real mosh pit I was in, or the real big mosh pit I was in, was probably System of a Down. And that was a crazy fucking mosh pit, but it wasn't. It was like there was this mutual respect that was there. Like if somebody got knocked over, people stopped and helped that person up because nobody wanted to get trampled. But if you were standing, you know, an elbow in the eye was fine. Yeah. And and, and quite frankly, it was going to happen every now and again. You were going to take one and sometimes you were going to give one. But like you're saying, the point isn't there's not a retaliation factor in that moment. You've all got this agreement, you know, and you don't when people get trampled that I mean, that's that shit moves fast and heavy. So you have to be conscious, you know, to make sure to to make that choice, pick that person up, make sure they're not getting fucking destroyed. It's a social contract. I understand that. But I mean, so that I wonder if that was what John Locke was thinking about. The social contract <laughs> the mosh pit. Well, it definitely is there because I've seen other mosh pits where that social contract wasn't there. Um, there were punk shows that I went to that skinheads were at, and it was not like that Ian McKay moment, and they were brutal. They actually had this thing called the Wall of Death, and like if you got caught in the middle of it sometimes, this fucking cockbag named Dan Ashley, I don't mean dropping his fucking full name because he was a... He was a white supremacist fucking shithead of a fucking skinhead who had cigars on him all the time. He fucking burn people. burn people in the fucking pit with the fucking cigars. That's that's a violation. You know, that's not I didn't mean to. I no, that's that's definitely uncalled for. So we've got this social contract and this. This almost tribal belief that has passed on from generation to generation where music is important to all of us. And, and I'm not talking about a certain genre or, or anything else. It's, it's music. You know, Dave Chappelle joked around about black people wanting drums and, and Mexicans wanting 
piano and and white people wanting guitar and and maybe that's true to a point <laughs> but um we all we all want music i still don't understand the the crying and, and wailing thing um but i mean i think on the guitar episode we talked about prince being one of the greatest guitarists ever you know him being gone is a fucking horrible shame. And not only was he a great guitarist, but he wrote music for bands that nobody knew he wrote music. And he had vaults of the shit that was just never read, um, never released. So when you lose somebody like that, I think that it's a shame. And the same goes for Bowie. I mean, he was a he was a super fucking pioneer, right? I mean he he did some weird shit, and you know you think okay, well he just did that to get people's attention, but it it wasn't that he was trying to break boundaries. social contracts yeah. and 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 break out of certain boundaries, yeah, and say hey fuck you, I'm gonna wear makeup and. I'm Ziggy Stardust, motherfucker. <laughs> he did, and he was, yeah. It, it, it is. It, he, he was a super, a super bummer. Uh, I was listening to something the other day just about Prince. Do you know why uh, he, the whole artist, formerly known as Prince, how that happened, what that was really about? I have no idea. So it wasn't him trying to be some esoteric shitbag. It was him. So, and I, it was, there was a Dave Chappelle thing that, that I was listening to where, cause he, like before Prince had died, Chappelle and him had struck up a, a friendship. He, Prince thought the fucking, thing was, it was funny. fucking funny, dude. Come on. We'll pancakes. play shirts and skins. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, um, when you sign a contract, uh, as a, as a person who's an artist throughout the contract, it refers to the artist, the artist, the artist, the artist. And, and, and the point is about the notion that uh, that the people who are inking it, depending on how the, the contract is struck, structured, can be owned in various different ways. So he, he did it to, to fuck be, with the record company. Yes, he ceased to be Prince and he became <laughs> the art. You know, I mean, he was being a dick. Right. You, you, I mean, if you think that's, I, I, that's brilliant. I love that. Well, he probably got fucked over on so many records. I mean, because I know he wrote songs for... Um, the Bangles, and he wrote songs for the Go Go's. Well, um, what did he write? Which one did he write? For? I think he wrote Manic Monday. Really? Wow. Um, I'm not positive about that, but I know that he just. I mean, that's what I'm saying is yeah. that he wrote so many songs for so many fucking bands mm-hmm. um, that I'm sure the record company fucked him over multiple times. Mm-hmm. And and every musician that has ever given an interview basically says they get fucked over like their freshman and sophomore albums. They don't make any fucking money at all. And the record company keeps everything and sometimes charges them for shit that happens. That's why, I mean, like from at least from like interviews that I've heard lately, a ton of artists, that's why they tour so heavily because when they're touring, they, they can capitalize on that position and use their industrial, you know, their their ideas to make that that shit huge because the fact you know the I, there was a statistic i was hearing to where like when the uh, say you know 
Sergeant Peppers was playing, you know, on Spotify X amount of times. Whoever owns the rights to that Beatles stuff now, which I'm sure is not probably not John Lennon or Yoko Ono or George, you know, the dead, the late George Harrison or, you know, any of them anymore. I'm sure they sold it off for a billion dollars to somebody or another. But uh, the people who who produced it, they get paid. So, like, say that there's like uh, three cents every time it airs or something like that. Like half of that goes to the people that produced it, and like a hundredth of it goes to the to the actual artists themselves. Right. So they and then, like I said, there's always these fucking weird chargebacks and shit. You know, you guys went over your per diem, so you owe us X number, or you know, you got fucking drunk and thrashed a motel room. You owe us for that, whatever the case is. Um, so I just did a quick search. And none of the songs that I mentioned are on here, but um, so he wrote Stevie Nicks "Stand Back" mm-hmm. in 1983. Okay. That's a huge song. Um, of course, he wrote "Jungle Love" by the time. Um, <laughs> he wrote a bunch of stuff for Sheila E. and and Sheena Easton. Um, which I think that's just because he was banging them. Did he teach him how to play the drums? I Which one played the drums? That was uh, Sheila E. Because she could bounce that drumstick off the fucking ground. <laughs> um, he did write one for Sinead O'Connor, too. Not, not nothing compares to you, was it? I don't know. I'm looking. If, if it was that, that would be a fucking monster. Because that's the only thing that anybody remembers for. And for talking shit about the flag. Which I have the utmost respect for her for. He wrote Kiss for Tom Jones. That's Yeah, that's a huge fucking... That was a huge song. He wrote Yo Mister for Patti LaBelle. Oddly enough, I don't remember Yo Mister. And Nothing Compares to You wow. for Sinead that's O'Connor. That's crazy. That's a huge fucking... I mean, that made her. And Chris Cornell did a really kind of a cool version on YouTube that he he, he uh, recorded of that. Uh, with the, they, There's a, a, a cello and a... A little another guitar back. It's really pretty. Some backing vocals. It's a cool, cool version of that song. Yeah, Prince was a fucking madman. But like the the thing that you were saying about um, the cultural significance of music throughout the years. I mean, you think about somebody like Jerry Garcia and like the Grateful Dead. I mean, they literally built an economy following them from fucking place to place. I, I mean, like for my part, because I was kind of a deadhead. I mean, not, I was most definitely a deadhead during that time period. But I was in uh, Seattle visiting my brother's family uh, during that time period. I was with my dad. We were going to the San Juan Islands that morning. And uh, I was fucking exhausted. I smoked too much weed the night before or something like that. And uh, I'm playing with some devil sticks. And this guy comes up to me. And uh, I had this Grateful Growers shirt tie-dye one the four seasons of the grateful growers you know the the planting and the taking care of it and the harvesting and then the enjoyment very important things to understand <laughs> but uh this guy this other guy's wearing a tie-dye he comes with me and says so are you wearing that shirt because you're in mourning and i said i'm in mourning that it's morning he said no dude i'm serious i'm like what do you mean he said jerry garcia they found him dead this morning had a heart attack last night and i was like but I was not going to be that kind of person that you're talking about either. I mean, I was very connected to the dead and I had a lot of emotions about it, but I didn't shed a fucking tear, but I know tons of my friends did. They went and had these big vigils and 
I knew that there were lots of vigils, but I didn't see anybody fucking crying hysterically and, you know, throwing themselves down on the ground and that kind of shit. I saw a lot of the bobbing and weaving type of thing and the playing music. Do you know what I mean? Because I, the same thing happened when when Jimmy died and, and Janice. And I wasn't around then, but just based on, like, videos sure and shit were. that I've it seen. Was, it was 73, right? You were just, you were here. Just barely. Barely. <laughs> barely, barely. 72 on 73, I think. For, I, I can't remember who and which one. But. Yeah, that was the, the 27 club. They all died when they were 27 years old. It's a fucked up club to be in. Kurt Cobain died when he was 27. Cobain's in it. Winehouse is in it. Yeah, she's in it, yeah. Um, there are a bunch of them that are actually in that 27 club. Um, you know, just talking about people that, that died young and I don't know if this is why everybody loves the two of them or not. Um, but Tupac and Biggie died and besides NWA and, and Dr. Dre, um, and I don't think that they crossed over the same way. But, you know, rap was generally something that was just played by black people in poorer neighborhoods. I mean, they were selling tapes out of trunks and, and shit like that um, and getting them, you know, hopefully on the air and, and whatever. So NWA makes a small crossover. They end up breaking up, you know, Dre crosses over and then fucking Tupac and Biggie go huge. I mean, that was a huge crossover. Every fucking white kid from where suburbia started to the fucking farmlands of whatever state you're in, every white kid had either one, or the other, and sometimes both. Yeah, opinion on East Coast versus West Coast and all that kind of shit. Them kids. There were some other people before that, though. Run EMC crossed over early in the late 80s. A little bit. The Aerosmith thing happened. But I'm talking about crossing over to where now you can fucking buy several houses and cars and shit. Um, Snoop Dogg, dude. I, I really think that Dre, when, when Dre had Snoop on that album, The well, Chronic, the, and then... Yeah, and Snoop did his his other other one right after that. All the stupid fucking white suburban kids that I was hanging out with were hanging out with Snoop Double D O J. That's true. I remember that, and I'm not saying that nobody crossed over. I'm just saying that they I think they they yeah. crossed over a lot more. He was fucking 26. He did all, that. All happened. You look at like how much, like Tupac specifically, like how much he grew. From 19 to 26, and then fucking died. Like, such a bummer. It would have been so cool to see that dude grow up. But maybe that's the maybe that's one of the weird things about these icons is that like, I don't know that I want to know what, what happened to Kurt Cobain when he's 80 years old. Like, you go back and you listen to fucking the lyrics from Nevermind or listen to All Apologies and shit. Like, he was so ironic with everything that he was doing and saying. Like, I don't know that he like. When you listen to all the plot and you think about him fucking killing himself, it's almost like he was 
I think he, I'm gonna, he I'm knew done. it was coming. Yeah. I mean, he and there. But Tupac was different in that sense. Like he was growing, 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 and then blam, 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 safe and eat. Yeah. Well, he didn't commit suicide for one. Yeah. No, he got, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Do you really, maybe with Tupac, he would have been better if he kept doing what he was doing. He showed a lot of growth in those last, you know, Kurt Cobain, I don't know, know he if read, he would have been better. You know, he read Machiavelli twice, more, more than two times. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was huge. Um, Sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, but Biggie, it's crazy. Like last year or earlier this year was the 25th anniversary of that fucking Life After Death album, dude. Was that that double? Yeah. Um, the one that just fucking blew up because that first one with the little like Afro kid on yeah. the front. Yeah. <laughs> that one didn't do it. I mean, it sold, but that life after death was fucking just yeah. boom. Um, <laughs> but again, I, you know, I, I bought Tupac stuff and I definitely bought Biggie's stuff. Um, I don't think that I had that emotional connection to where I, I would cry. Um, do it in the in, in in the communities where he came from. They where they came from. They there there were many tears shed. Oh, you dude, know? there was that fucking parade, and there were lots of people crying. Uh -huh. Um, and what is it? Brooklyn Sty? No, something Sty. Where you mean where Tupac was born? No, where uh, Biggie was but from. He, tu Tupac was born out there too. He just went out to San Francisco later on. You know, right? I didn't realize that he was. I, I was. I went on just down a Tupac rabbit hole recently. I didn't realize that he was from New York at all. He, uh, well, and that's why the East Coast, West Coast thing didn't make, make any, any sense. sense at all. Yeah. But that, you know, that you, you play it up to, I mean, it made, it made good money. There's no doubt about that. And maybe that's what, I mean, maybe the media helped with all of that shit and every white kid buying it is because of all of the hype about the East Coast, West Coast. I don't know. Um, I still think it's a shame that both of them are fucking dead because I think they could have done some good things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, whatever. Um, you know, you joked around about Mama Cass at the end of the show last time. I mean, we, we haven't been around so long, but the United States and, and, rock and roll and recorded music has been around so long that obviously there are going to be a lot of people that we know of in the the musical area that that have died um and some mean more than others i mean you know i i still listen to nirvana um I tried to get to Cobain's, well, never mind. I'm kind of morbid, but I, I try to find, like, graves and shit when I go to different places. And I tried to go by his house when I was out in Seattle, and I couldn't find it. But um, it was mainly just so that I could see where it was, not 
so that I could say I see where he died, if that makes sense. Why? Why? I mean, just, the, just I don't like, know why. Just sort of like put a frame of like the narrative, like to see this is where this moment occurred, or now, maybe it is. Maybe I am fascinated with death. I don't know because I go to fucking cemeteries yeah, all the time yeah, too. You're you're, you're, you're cuckoo. Yeah. Since we're talking about Cobain, just quickly, I I never ever listened to the Foo Fighters ever. But when uh, there's there's this guy that I listen to that reviews uh, live performances, like and he's he's a jam band guy, so his conversations generally appeal to me a ton. And uh, Taylor Hawkins, the drummer for um, Foo Fighters, died in March of this year, and uh, he had so at at his tribute show they had two tribute shows they had one in L.A. and then they had one at Wembley Stadium in the U.K. and at the Wembley Stadium one they had his uh, I think 15 year old son Shane come up and play drums on my hero and fucking that kid just dude, it was a cool thing to see as a parent. Uh, I don't know you think that, so it really drove me down a rabbit hole with regards to him. And he was, he was clearly a very infectious character. Like he, and dude, a really fucking good drummer. Like I just, that's to be, I like for the last I don't know. Whenever I saw that tribute thing, uh, I've just been listening to a lot of their stuff and listening to what he did specifically. And like, honestly, like uh, he set that fucking band in the more complicated directions that it was going to go in without him. It never would have uh, worked as well as it did. That's for sure. That kind of hit me hard just because he was like, I think he's only like three years older than me. Um, so I thought, fuck, I guess I could die pretty much any fucking minute. Well, and he, I mean, he, he had a heart attack and he'd been taking a lot of painkillers and drinking and things like that. So, But he was in a lot of bands before the Foo Fighters. Um, yeah. yeah, he played, I mean, he was, he was Alanis Morissette's tour drummer. I mean, he played, he was, I think he did a lot of touring stuff for people too. I mean, just before he really... He played for Coheed and Cambria, too, which that would have been a fucking hard band to play. Those guys are complicated as hell. It's like this weird heavy metal band, um, but they're, I don't know, kind of like operatic. (laughs) Um, I'm sure, dude, that dude was technical as shit, man. But he was in the Birds of Satan. He had to be, because he bumped Grohl off of the drums, technically. Um, but they sometimes like I've been watching all these weird live performances, and sometimes Dave will go back and Taylor would come up like they they do all these Queen covers and shit, you know, and uh, he'd sing the the one that what's the David Bowie Queen song, the, the Under Pressure. Pressure, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he'd sing the Under Pressure, and D- David go back and play the. Dave's a very fucking. He's a fucking awesome drummer too, man. That guy, I maybe I just kind of slept on the fact that that guy is really. You know, and I like the structure of the songs. A lot of it's fucking power chords and shit and like drop D tunings and stuff. So it's not like rock. It's not rocket surgery, you know. <laughs> but um, still haven't said that. They got a lot of breaks, you know, and they change directions and cut time. And uh, it's not your usual everyday four four fucking put me to sleep trash, you know. Not to say that there's a lot of great four four stuff. I mean, shit, you know, like a lot of the singer songwriter stuff that I. That I love, you know, you, you, who's, you know, Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash did everything pretty much in four four. But you, and you better fucking love Johnny Cash. If you don't love Johnny Cash, you don't fucking love music. So, 
Yeah, I uh, I always tell people that I don't like country music, but then I'm like, well, there's Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and uh, Waylon Jennings. And then you're talking I, about the highwayman high is what you're pretty much talking it. about there. Do you like Chris Christopherson at all? His stuff was fluffier, but he hung out yeah. with all those guys. Well, yeah, I know. He hung out. But I always thought of Chris Christopherson as an actor, not a musician. And, and I know that he was a musician, but... He wasn't as... Obviously not as prolific as those other guys were. I mean, fucking Johnny Cash is a madman, dude. And Willie Nelson, dude. Great, great. You want to talk about a guy that's written the songs for... He wrote, yeah, I mean, he wrote Patsy Cline's big. You know, another person. She died when she was 30. She was one of those plane crash deaths, like... Uh, uh, Richie Valens and the Big Bopper and fucking Buddy Holly. I mean, planes and 27-year-olds and shit like that. There are some things that cir circle, circulate around musicians where you got to be careful which way you're walking because someone's going to fucking hop a curb and fucking take you out and it'll all be over with. Well, I think that could be said for any of us. The only difference is we're not impacting people's lives like they are. I'm not impacting people's lives like, like Bob Marley or something like that. No. And, you know, Bob being dead is fucking horrible, except for the fact that now anybody with the Marley name seems to think they can cut a fucking record, and there are lots of them, dude. But some of them are okay, though. So I like right. most of Damien's stuff. He's he's angry motherfucker, man. Um, he's 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 got that revolution in him a little bit more than some of them. Some of Stevens' stuff he's, is okay. He also has got a little bit of that revolution in him. Ziggy's a little bit of a fucking weenie. I yeah, and and then there's I don't know if all of them are like sons and I don't think they're all sons and daughters. They're like cousins and shit he too, had, right? He had a lot of kids though. He had a lot of he he had a lot of ladies and right I, when I I went to his uh speaking of uh, where the, the dead people lie I went to his mausoleum and in at eight mile is it no they call it nine mile there eight mile is is what's his name the dumb guy Eminem yeah <laughs> sorry I don't really mean dumb guy but whatever uh, nine miles where uh, Bob Marley's married bar buried uh, in uh, Jamaica. Like not like outside of Ocho Rios, um, but where his body lays, uh, he had a son who played another son who played for the Miami Hurricanes who died when he was young, and he was buried in the same spot right next to where Bob Marley's uh, body was laid. I don't know what the purpose for that was, but uh, that was a weird and odd an odd thing to. And you, when I went there that day, one of the weirdest fucking days of my life, the cab driver that took us there, his name was Ricky Ricardo, or at least that's what he told us his name was. But, like, the first thing that he asked us, we're getting into the car, we're negotiating prices, and it's, you know, 100 bucks a person, and Brad is like, uh, I don't know, I'm like, fuck you, dude, that's cheap compared to what the fucking, the excursions were trying to charge us. So we get in the car, and... uh he says, do you mind if I drop a couple people off at the shop so I can just make some quick cash while we're going up uh, to Bob's place? And we're like, of course, you know. So we we go and drop him off. And as soon as the other people get out of the car, he turns around back and looks at Brad and me. And he says, so do you guys need anything? 
And I looked back at Brad, and I didn't smoke anymore at that point in time, but we're in Jamaica, and Brad was an avid smoker, to be sure. And we we were not in the wonderful space that we are in the Colorado now, where recreational is just like old news. So Brad was like, like yeah. And he's like, uh, give me 20 bucks. So Brad gives him 20 bucks. We go, we park at this uh, Diamond Shamrock, and they got, they got all these little stands all over this place where people are selling like iron, ironwood carvings and Bob Marley fucking tie-dyed shirts and shit. It's all the same thing everywhere. And uh, um, Ricky hops out of the car, and I turn back to Brad, and I put my hand on the fucking door handle, and I'm like, dude, if I see a cop anywhere, I, I said, we're 200 yards from that fucking boat landing and I'm fucking booking for it. I'm not going to jail because you want to fucking smoke weed. And thank goodness, uh, Ricky goes to this guy, gives him the money. He walks to this guy, that goes to that guy, comes back to that guy and comes back to Ricky. And, uh, we get, we hop in the fucking, here he hops in the car and, uh, starts going up the fucking road, hands me back a fucking, about five grams of fucking really pretty weed. And, uh, asks me if we need any papers and scissors. <laughs> I mean, what kind of? That's like the best service I've ever had in my life. We're gonna get you weed, and we're gonna get you the tools that you need so that you can smoke your weed. I really like Ricky. I hope Ricky Ricardo has a wonderful life. He's really sure. very good. He's uh, probably just happy as shit down there driving a cab. Um, so just to to backtrack slightly, um, Bob Marley acknowledged. 11 children with seven different mothers. Um, I almost said no fucking around, but that would make no sense in that context because that is just nothing but fucking around. Right. He, uh, he definitely got around. And Lita didn't have any problems with it. They had their beliefs in relation to that stuff. I didn't say anything. I know. I just think it's like, I think it's interesting culturally when people are uh, not, you know, I mean, because he was hyper, like they were uh, obviously like the Rasta stuff. I mean, it ties into Egyptian stuff. It ties into you know, uh, uh, like the Jewish faith, and obviously it ties to Christianity a ton. But it definitely doesn't tie to the way that they thought about relationships and the family as it reflects in the Judaism faith and Jewish faith or in the Christian faith. No, we kind of have some fucked up beliefs in the United States where, you know, it almost turns us all into some weird fucking like prudes, like orthodox prudes. You're telling me I grew up Mormon, dude. I think I'll have to live and die seven times to get all the fucked up shit out of my head that that stupid religion plugged into me. Well, it's not just that cult it's it's all of the cults dude but, you know the, the mormons have to wear the special underwear because you're not allowed to have fun <laughs> while you're fucking what what the fuck how can you not have fun while you're fucking that's not good look i love you my my brother up in Coeur d'Alene, but there's nothing wrong with you know you don't have to have the special underwear throw the special underwear away get a little weird sometimes have a little fun I'm sure he does. He just doesn't admit it. So you have to understand that, like, since we were talking about dead musicians today, and Wednesday is supposed to be the day that lightens things up a little bit, we had to get at least into an area where, you know, we are actually effectively lightening, lightening things up a little bit. So all we needed to do was talk about Bob Marley and his kids and Mormons and special underwear. And I thought it was pretty light the whole time, dude. I know. 
I just. Uh, but still, the the thought of like the day that we're supposed to lighten things up, that it's just funny to think that we're I'm talking about dead. It's people. a pretty morbid fucking convers or subject. So. Well, I just wanted to talk about it because I don't think. I don't know either. Like those people that fucking wail and cry and you know act hysterical. I'm not sure that they're thinking, or maybe I'm not thinking about how much these people have actually impacted my life. I mean, I remember playing like Prince's Purple Rain album on my brand new boom box when I was like fucking 11 years old, dude. Um, Darling Nikki was the first song on the second side, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the Foo Fighters did a really good cover of that song. Did they really? Fucking A. Well, it's awesome, dude. That. That's fucking hilarious. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Respect. That's fucking crazy. Of all the songs to choose, so I'm going to have to find that. It's yeah. a really good cover. Um, yeah, so, I mean, and a lot of the, the songs that we listen to, you know, they were probably written or, or played by some of these dead people at, at one time or another. And we haven't even mentioned all of the fucking dead people. Um, I mean, how do you fucking mention all the dead people? I right. was just looking down in front of me like I haven't said anything about that one or that one or that one or that one. I know. I mean, I was bummed out when um, dude from Sublime OD'd. Fred. Uh, Noel. Noel. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, you know, when Lane Staley died, another fucking OD. A lot of Seattle people, you know, a lot of fucking Seattle people. Like uh, said, Chris, Kurt, Lane Staley, Scott Weiland. Scott Weiland was from San Diego, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I just, I guess I associated them because they were all sort of like in that scene. They popped up at the same time. And I always thought that STP would have been grunge too, mm -hmm. but. Um, I'm pretty sure he's from Southern I'm, I'm California. Sure right. I, I just was associating it because it sort of seemed to follow. And me. I didn't think he was ever going to die. Why? Because he kind of seemed like uh, Keith Richards. Keith Richards, yeah. where he just, because he had OD'd like four fucking times yeah. and didn't die and just kept doing drugs. So I figured he was going to live forever. I guess nobody lives forever. <laughs> <laughs> And that was a great fucking band. I love those guys, Stone Temple Pilots. I like their I, I like their first album the best though. Like there was the other stuff. I don't know. And Alice in Chains. Yeah, there was. I think uh, probably Dirt was their best album. I like no Jar of Flies was a cool album though too. An interesting like right turn kind of for them. Switch to a straight acoustic after, and it showcased Lane's. I mean, he had such a unique voice. It really showcased his voice really good. And they never should have tried to find another band member, which they did. And, you know, now they're playing Alice in Chains. And I've got a friend that said he just saw Sublime in Vegas. You couldn't have seen Sublime in Vegas. Dude is dead. <laughs> the band ended in 1996. That's why they, they, like, call it Sublime with whoever that guy is that plays with them now, isn't it? Well, most of the other ones, I thought they had... Form the Long Beach Dub All-Stars. Well, there, but there is like a uh, Sublime Light, you know, something. Like, it's Sublime yeah. some guy. I can't remember his fucking name. Because uh, I, of, I agree with you. 
I saw Sublime accidentally once. I was going to fucking the KTCL Big Adventure, and I was with douchebag Josh, and uh, they were fucking up there, and they started playing Scarlet Begonias, and Josh is like, dude, they're playing the fucking dead. I'm like, who the fuck is this? Sublime. I don't know who the fuck they are. Kind well, you remember one. we saw Alice in Chains by accident, o- opening, too. Opening up for fucking Van Halen, and they right. booed off the fucking stage. That Which was sucks. fucking crazy, dude. It sucks. Because you know the following year, they didn't get booed off of anything, no, dude. No, they didn't. They were headlining all over the place. Dude, Dirt was a fucking great album, dude. It was a really great And Jerry Cantrell was, you know, I mean, uh, very good vocals and, you know, uh, his guitar was... His solo unique, stuff kind of sucked, though. Yeah, no, he, they, sometimes you need the context. And I think that theirs really did... I didn't like Mad Season either, you know? They needed each other, so I think... Yeah, it was it was kind of a shame. Um, but, you know, hopefully sometime in the near future there will be another musician that I like. I kind of doubt it based on what the fuck is happening, but who knows. Dude, there's a lot of good music out there right now. You just got to know where to look. You just got to turn over a few rocks. That's a good point. We'll go run around on YouTube for a little while. I found, I found a lot of good stuff on Weird, and because different, but you know me, I'm into the jam band stuff more than you're ever going to be into it, so, but I'll see these people sitting in with those people, and then that spins out of that, and then, and then you'll have more people that you like it that's musical, and then they'll die, and then you'll have more people that you like that are musical that are dead. Right. So, I guess the, the whole thing is, the circle is, find somebody you like, they die, find somebody you like, they die, and... So the world turns. And hopefully you you don't die. But that's going to happen eventually, too. Yeah. So I hear, anyway. I think that's the way it works. Um, so, you know, who do you guys like that is alive or dead? Fuck, I don't care. Just let us know. Um, did we miss anybody that was really fucking important? I, I got, I'm got. i going to just run down some names real quick that I think. I think we did. Leonard Cohen. Uh, Marvin Gaye, Sam Cooke, Marvin Gaye. Roy, Roy, Roy Orbison. Um, uh, we said all them. And Roy Orbison. John, John Bonham, Keith Moon, uh, Warren Zevon, Elliot Smith, really great singer songwriter, fucking cuckoo bird. But Jeff Buckley, my favorite version of Halloween ever. Uh, the keyboardist for The Grateful Dead, The Hot Seat, so to speak, Pig Pen, Keith Gotcha, and Brett Midland. Uh, Oh, Billy Holiday, Freddie Mercury. We were talking about Clemens. Didn't say Freddie Mercury. There's and there it goes on and on. There's a, there's a million more. You know. I know. I just can't believe I didn't even mention Roy Orbison. I was thinking like uh, out of that one because George Harris. Uh, so out of the uh, the Traveling Wilburys, you know, which uh, of course is an afterthought. They were they were doing uh, what was it called uh, free falling, and they were trying to create a B side song, and. Bob Dylan, they were they were like at his studio or something like that, and Roy Orbison came in and they just fucking and it ended up being uh, Handle with Care, and they're like we can't fucking put this on the B side, you know, so they fucking did that. The album came out, and five minutes later he fucking hopped a curb and fucking smacked his head into a off of his motorcycle and safe any. But George George Harrison's dead now. Uh, uh, Roy Orbison's dead. Tom Petty's dead. Only only ones left is Bob Dylan, who I think is a little bit like Keith Richards too, and uh, Jeff Lynne from Electric Light Orchestra. So, 
fucking nuts. Alright, well, much respect to all of you. Sorry you're gone. I am not going to light a candle or have a vigil because oh, that's just not me. I didn't say old dirty bastard. Oh, yeah. We were talking about that before <laughs> the show. And how many people really are in Wu-Tang Clan? It's going to be a, have to be a show on its own. Um, okay, so we're coming up on 45 now. Um, sorry about the, the morbid topic. Next episode, we are going to be talking about torture, which is much lighter. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, no, no more there. Joyful, joyful. Um, you can reach us on Twitter and TikTok at, well, Twitter is Short Bus Debate. TikTok is Short Bus Debate Club. Um, you Seven. can email us at Short Bus Debate Club at Yahoo. or two zero three four four three three four. Roll. Roll. Roll, bitches. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Adios.